constructive, positive attitude or enthusiastic attitude really makes a difference for them. So. Consider your current scope of responsibilities and make sure that you are doing everything you can to make that uh, just very best delivery as possible. Creating this dynamic of parents saying we're not getting what we're paying at the same time, we are investing more and more and more. Welcome to ISS EDU Learn, Ask Me Anything with Mike and Dana. Here we'll be exploring how international schools are innovating and transforming education around the world. From the latest trends and insights to stories from teachers and administrators, you'll get the inside look to the global education landscape. So join us as we explore what the future of international education has in store. Get ready to be inspired, challenge the status quo, and embrace a world of possibilities. Welcome. Welcome back to ISS EDU Learn. Ask me anything with Mike and Dana. Dana, you there? I'm here, Mike. Oh, as always, this podcast is brought to you by ISS.edu. Today, we're going to explore a crucial aspect of education, the determination of grades in grade the determination of grades in grades six through 12. Joining us today is Ken O'Connor, a Rion author and expert in the field and assessment of evaluation. Ken will share his insights on how to accurately report behaviors and determine grades that align with your school or district's learning, learning goals and performance standards. Also, Dana is one who is the director of research. Dana, what is the rest of your director of research outreach? Uh Learning, research, and outreach. Learning, research, and outreach. I was there. And she is also one that is a guru for curriculums and assessments as well. So she will also be here uh, giving her insights. So you guys ready? Sure. Jump right in. All right. So my number one question is, as everything that is going on, what is some hot button issues that you've encountered when determining grades and grades through 6 to 12? And how have you addressed them in the past? I think the hottest hot button issue, rather sadly, is homework. And I think there's lots of misunderstandings about what homework should be, what the role of homework is, what the purposes of homework. And, and I think that's where we have to start. What is the purpose of homework? And I think we can put it in four categories. It's either preparation, practice, extension, or integration. And when it's preparation, do this to be ready for next week, whenever before instruction, then clearly that has no place in grades. If it's practice, then it should be risk-free. It should be, it's okay to make mistakes because I'm in the learning phase. And for that reason, I think it should have no place in grades. But absolutely, it counts. Everything counts Mm -hmm. because to get better at things, we have to practice. And then extension and integration is when we've had learning about whatever and we say to students now do a project now do an assignment and those assessments legitimately part of grades with two caveats first we have to monitor very carefully that the student did it themselves and secondly we have to monitor carefully that all students have the access the resources that they need to do it outside of school okay so if they're doing it outside of school that's not that's so you don't consider that homework or no, I do consider it homework, and but I'm saying if it if it's something that's going to count in grades, and it, mm-hmm. you know if it's extension or integration, it's legitimately summative assessment. It's legitimately part of grades, but there can be huge equity issues because if a student doesn't have the situation, the resources, um, the time to be able to do it out of school, 
you've created a very unfair situation. I mean, I think ideally, and I don't know whether Dana would agree with me on this, but ideally, all summative assessments should be done under the eye of the teacher. But given time constraints, that's not always possible. I agree. I do think for the most part, they should be done under the eye of the teacher, depending, it's dependent on the assessment. But I think in a more traditional sense, yes. As, okay, I was an art major when I first went to school. I couldn't paint in front of anyone, but I could go home and do that creative process at home. But obviously, like, I'm not copying anybody. Like, so it depends on what the assessment is, right? Like, I would go to the studio time and sit there and kind of mess around for the three hours because I couldn't draw in front of anyone. And then I'd go home and then I would do it all at home in my little studio um, off my bedroom in my apartment in college. But but for the most part, I think, yes, I agree with that. I wonder, though, if we're holding kids accountable, right, for homework, and this is obviously an issue in secondary in particular, right? So that's a formative assessment. But then how do we make sure that they're actually, how are we hold? I, there's practice that people, and I don't, I know that's maybe not the right way to say it, but there's practice that students need before they can actually like excel at something, right? Like I can't all of a sudden just tomorrow turn around and run a marathon if I've mm-hmm. never done a 5k, a 10k, a half k, right? right? So it's the same kind of thing in education. So how do we then make those pieces checkpoints or almost maybe mini summatives to, so that they do count? But I'm, I always get a little thrown off in this one. Well, I think one of the best ways to do that, Dana, is to provide choices for students so that they make a decision about what they need to do. I think one of the problems with homework has been almost always traditionally, it's been whole class, you do this, Mm -hmm. in a sense, whether you need it or not. Mm -hmm. And and almost always, there will be some students that really don't need to do that. They're there already. There'll be some students that, yes, they're right where they are and they need that practice. And there'll be some students who aren't even ready to do that practice. And mm-hmm. so I think if we provide some choices and, you know, not different things to do, different difficulty, students won't always make the right choice, but it, it will be more relevant. It'll be, it'll be real for the student in, rather than do this because everybody's doing it. And I mean, an example that I know of a middle school math teacher who, when she starts a new math concept, teaches for a few days and obviously tries to get the students to understand whatever it is. But then she will give them homework where she'll say, here are 10 problems. And my expectation is that you will attempt at least three. If you do three and you don't have a clue, please don't do any more because it'll make it more difficult for both of us tomorrow. If you do three and you've absolutely got it, you don't need to do more than three. Mm -hmm. But if you do three and you're sort of on track, Maybe you do four, maybe you do five, maybe you do all 10. And I think the the beauty of that is that we're involving students. We're getting them right, to really right. think about their learning and, and we're making the homework relevant and real for them. A lot of the problem with homework is that students fail to see the the link between why am I doing this relative to the learning, relative to to what ultimately is going to be the summative assessment. So the great points that you're making, especially about the homework. So I want to go into another part about how do you approach grading behaviors such as attendance, punctuality, participation, and how do you report those, report those effectively in a report card? I believe that what we have to do is make sure that our grades are about achievement and achievement only. 
In other words, how students are doing on the standards. But the things that you mentioned, attendance, punctuality, participation, mm-hmm. are important. So what we should do for those is we should assess and evaluate them and report them. Now, the attendance is fairly easy. I mean, it's just how many days were they there or how many days did they miss? And that should be on the report card or somewhere in our communication. Things like punctuality and participation, I believe that each 612 school should identify three to six behaviors, dispositions, approaches to learning, whatever we want to call it, and report on them on the report card, the three to six things that they think are most valuable. And very often the determination of that can fairly easily come from a school's mission statement. If we say this is what the school is about, then very often that is actually about the behaviors, the dispositions. So choose the three to six that you most value and then develop performance standards for them, put them on the report card. And ideally, if you're going to do it in a separate section, this is probably more applicable to middle school, put it in first place on the report card. Have that which sends a really important message. We're not including these in grades, but they're so important that we're putting them up front in your face. You know, Ken, at um, my previous school, what we did is we chose to only teacher comments were um, on the report card at semester. But as far as at quarter, when we were giving feedback, and this was in our secondary, we only we had made a choice that we were going to only report on on the approaches to learning, which I felt, um, and I'm just wondering your feedback on that, because I felt as a parent, I want to know, is my kid actually putting the effort forward? Is my child showing the dispositions where they're opening themselves up for learning? And at quarter time, I thought that was really important to know because then I could then redirect and talk about those issues with my child more so than the content. If they're not getting the, as long as they had the ATLs right, I felt like the content would flow. What are, what are your thoughts on that? I don't see that I see that as being one way to go. I don't think it's you know the only way, but I certainly see that as as positive. And obviously, a decision was made thinking of a whole communication system. And ultimately, that really is the key that we think about our whole communication system, which has to be or should be more than just grades and report cards. So it sounds like your school had thought in a fairly uh, reasonable way about what was a cohesive informative communication system. Perfect. When we think about comments on the report cards, do you think, um, so should teachers be spending more time on comments on the individual unique assessments or uh, on the report card? And I know that, you know, teachers struggle over what do you say? How do you do that? How do you give the most unique feedback and things of that nature, especially when it's tied to a multitude of different standards? So is it so is it more important to have the bulk of the of the time of the educator be on giving comments on the summative assessments or on a report card or a combination of both? Well, I would say it's most important actually on formative assessments while the learning is going on. Yes, um, yes. To, so that students know when, when, it, when they, in a sense, should be making mistakes. We learn from mistakes, and that's when we should be getting most of the, the feedback. In a sense, when we get to the summative assessment, it's too late. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't and shouldn't do it, especially if 
whatever the, the standards of being assessed are going to be assessed again in three weeks or six weeks or whatever. When it comes to report card comments, I think what's really important is if teachers are going to do that, and you know, we can debate whether they should be doing it, it it's got to be focused. It, it has to be something that's useful information. And so uh, it should be about what are students' strengths, what are their areas for improvement, what are the next steps. I mean, when my children were in high school, uh, the teachers were required to do three or four comments in each subject. And I, one year, I classified the comments that they got as being useful, somewhat useful, or fluff. And in almost every case, uh, only about 10% of the comments were in the useful category. And that was because the heading on the report card simply said comments. I, I think we've got to, well, we put comments on a report card. We have to say something about what those report comments are supposed to be about. Does that make sense to you, Dana? A hundred percent. I totally agree. And I and you're right. The formative assessment is where most of the commentary should be. As an educational professional, you likely understand the positive and crucial role inclusion has on classroom culture. And you might be on the lookout for a community of like-minded educators. Senya International is that community. Senya is a nonprofit organization that advocates for individuals with disabilities and promotes inclusive educational practices across the globe. With a network of educators, families, students, and professionals, Senya offers connection, professional learning, and support for educators like you. Connect with the Senya community via our membership program or a local chapter in your area. Enjoy professional learning with the Senya community via our podcasts, online certification program, and in-person or virtual conferences. Support Senya through our sponsorships, awards, and scholarship program. So, what are you waiting for? For more information, head to our website, senyainternational.org. That's S-E-N-I-A international.org. And together, we continue to make a difference and fulfill our vision of living in an inclusive world. Another question for you, Ken, is how can teachers handle situations where a student may be excelling in one area but struggling in another? And how does this impact the determination of grades? You mean this within one subject, Mike? Yes. Yeah. Well, I think this is, you know, where one of the huge benefits of standards-based grading is that we identify that much better than in traditional grading where it was sort of they're doing well on tests, but they're not doing well on projects. But in standards-based mm -hmm. grading, we can say, you know, and I'll use a, an overly simplistic example, they're doing well in reading and writing, but they're struggling in listening, speaking and whatever. But standards-based grading allows us to identify that. And then clearly what we have to do is provide support for the student in those areas where they are not doing as well. When it comes to determining grades, and, and I think some people see this as, as harsh, but I believe that what we have to say is that if a student is not proficient, let's say at a particular time where reporting on six standards, and maybe they're excelling on three, they're proficient on two, and they're not proficient on, on one. Mm -hmm. I feel very strongly that we have to say the overall grade is not proficient. In other words, the overall grade has to be the, the what is the lowest mm -hmm. if they're not proficient, at least proficient on all. Because 
you know, think about anything where it really matters. And I like to use the example of a pilot. Takeoffs, flying the plane in the air. They can't just be good at takeoffs and flying the plane in the air. If they can't do landings, they're not a proficient pilot. So if we look at language arts, if they're great at reading and writing, but they are very not proficient in the other aspects, then I'm sorry, overall, they're not proficient. What do you think, Dana? Oh, I totally agree. I And that's the pilot is an excellent analogy because, yeah, they really need, there needs to be that whole, that whole kind of, it's not a whole school, but whole child approach to what they're learning and, and how they're applying all the different components together. And I think, Mike, the way that we do that effectively is we have we determine grades for standards and then it's if we have to have grades for subjects and maybe this gives me the opportunity to say i don't think we need them in middle school and in my ideal world we wouldn't have them in nine and ten either i think two years of uh, subject grades are sufficient for all the external purposes but if we have to have them the best way to determine grades is with a logic rule so for example all fours and threes mostly fours, it's an A. All fours and threes, mostly threes, it's a B. And or if any if any one not proficient appears, then that's going to it overall, it's going to be a D or an F, an F rather. But you can the beauty of logic rules is you can develop them with whatever your philosophy is. I mean if if a school's philosophy is if they're not proficient in one standard, they can still get credit or be, you know, getting a C or a D, fine, build that into your logic rule. But if your philosophy is what I just suggested, any standard and they're not proficient, if they're not proficient on any one standard, then they, they cannot be considered passing, getting a credit, whatever you want to call it. Right. So so now you're making great points about the standard-based grading system that you have going on, but... Um... How can you effectively communicate these grades and and progress to the parents and how can they address concerns and questions that may arise as well? Well, I I think that goes back to what I said earlier. You have to have a communication system. We have our formal parts of the communication system, the report cards with grades, but we need a lot more than that in our communication system. We need to have informal communication. We need to use texts and emails and maybe still phone calls and those sorts of things which fill the gaps between those formal, I mean, reporting. So, for example, if if schools still very commonly do quarter reporting, then before the quarter report card, before the second quarter, you need to have, have those informal opportunities. And that should be, some of it should be when there's positive things to report Traditionally, it's always been when it's been negative. So it's really important that some of those be positive. Otherwise, we get into the situation where parents don't want to hear from the school because it's always negative. And the other thing I think we have to really build on is involving students in the process so that they can do student-involved or student-led conferencing. So the third part of our communication is conferencing. And so we should be building towards somewhere near the end of the year and I think this is true for all grade levels, we should be building it somewhere near the end of the year for a student-led conference, which is basically a celebration of learning. Mm. 
I'm a huge fan of um, e-portfolios, and I love using those for our parent-teacher conferences, our student-led conferences, to have students be able to reflect upon their learning and to really showcase the different components where they felt like they were were shining because hearing that from a student point of view instead of a teacher point of view on what they were really proud of, I think really helps the student feel like they're an active participant in their learning as opposed to a receiver of learning. Yeah, and I should have I should have mentioned ePortfolios and I would agree, Dana, completely that they're an essential part of our communication. And the beauty of them is now that we can do it relatively easily. When I was in the classroom, we did portfolio some portfolios, but for those portfolios, we had to have you know six filing cabinets because it was all all yeah. hard. But now portfolios can be done much more easily and much more effectively and communicated more effectively. So I think they're a critical part of our assessment and our communication systems. I agree. Now, with all this being said, and our time is uh, running short, so I'm going to add the hot topic question that is just going around altogether. And it has to do with our buddy AI and natural language processing technologies as chat GPT. So my question to you, I know all this is in its, in, in its infancy at the moment, but how can schools and districts ensure that they are using these technologies to supplement rather than replace teacher expertise and judgment in grading assess- and assessment? And in what ways can teachers and administrators effectively use the technologies to support rather than distract from student learning and growth as well? So just want to know your opinion on that. Mike, I had difficulty hearing that question. You were sort of fading in and out. So yeah, maybe can you see it again? you'll need to edit it. And you- okay, sure. Let's, let's try this again. So I was stating that uh, we have a new friend that's among us and it's a hot topic as well so we have uh, ai and as well as natural language processing technologies that is chat gpt so my question to you is how can schools and districts ensure that they're using these technologies to supplement supplement rather than replace teacher expertise and judgment and grading and assessment and additionally what ways can teachers and administrators effectively use the technologies to support rather than detract from student learning and growth if you want, I'll take a quick first stab if you want, Ken, or do you want to go first? No, go ahead, Dana. So when I think about all the possibilities with OpenAI and ChatGPT and things of that nature, I think about right now the workload for teachers is ex- it's exponential, right? It's And the move towards standards-based grading and reporting has added in some ways um, a lot onto a teacher's plate. I think this is an amazing opportunity to use technology to help uh, teachers be able to concentrate more on the other components. For example, like I would love to take um, an assessment that I've created and throw it into chat GPT and say, find me, you know, if find me the like, am I hitting these targets? Am I hitting these standards in this? If it comes back and says, yes, uh, how many hours of work could that be? Or what are the standards that are being hit within this assessment and find um, and align them to the Common Core or align them to NGSS? You know, or is this aligned to NGSS? And if it shows me and it gives me some feedback back on some of those components, that could take hours for an educator to do if technology can simplify that 
and quickly read something and be able to help find some of those components for me, that could be incredible. If I could put in, if I write comments for a student and then I want to say, okay, are these, is there bias? Am I not talking about, you know, my content area? Am I moving into some pieces that maybe have nothing to do that are not useful towards student growth? Give me feedback. If it's going to give me feedback, then I would, I would appreciate that. So I think that there's an opportunity to lessen some of the busy work of teachers and let them concentrate on what really works. Ken, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with that. And I was going to look at it from a different point of view, which is what is the impact on students and and assessment? And I think it really is an evolution of the idea that don't give students assessments that they can Google, which has been a sort of somewhat almost trite statement for a number of years. Well, don't give students assessments that they can just have done by AI, by chat GPT. And I think this actually is an evolution will help because it's going to be even clearer than it was in not giving students assessments that they can Google. It will really force, require teachers to develop assessments that are more authentic, that are more real that are more about issues, problems, skills. So I think that's a good thing. The other part of that is I think it provides another opportunity for uh, schools, for teachers to talk with students about academic integrity, that you know we absolutely want to have students using these technologies, but when it comes to them showing what they know, understand, and can do, they need to understand how they can use that and how they shouldn't use it. So I think that to me, those are sort of the two prongs. Don't give them students that, uh, assessments that they can just do ch- use ChatGPT and focus on academic integrity. Okay. So Ken and Dana, both of you are not against ChatGPT for the educational world. No, I'm never against technology. If, if you're against it, you're behind the curve because students are going to use it. They're going to, anytime you try to block something, students figure out a way around it anyway. So it, you have to embrace it. And you have to figure out the ways to utilize it to enhance learning in your classroom. Absolutely. And I mean, to me, it's sort of the same argument we had about, okay. cal- you know, use a calculator. You have to know what the basic math yeah. you can't use a calculator if you don't know how to subtract. I mean, I can use basic calculators. But, you know, a graphing calculator would be absolutely no use to me because I don't understand those functions. So technology only works, is only useful when when we, I mean, when we can use it. And that's the way we, I think we have to look at calculators at Google, at ChatGPT. And a perfect example would be, so probably for both, I think I'm speaking for both Ken and myself, we didn't use graphing calculators in high school because they didn't exist. Right. So we didn't learn. We lost that generation. We need to a huge thing is going to be empowering teachers on how to use the new technology. Right now, it would be hard to find a math teacher who doesn't know how to use a graphing calculator today. And I'm not a math uh, teacher, but really, you need to know how to use the tools that our students know how to use. And so that's where it kind of boils down to. Teachers, you know, I mean, just like many professions, you know, medical professions and in law, like you need to stay up with learning the new things that happen or else you are quickly outdated. And then and we need to make sure that we're empowering educators so that they know how to use them in the best way possible. I agree. 
Ken, did you have any last uh, advice or anything that you wanted to, to tell our listeners and also uh, let everyone know where to find you? Yeah, I think the main thing that I would emphasize is that it's really only at high school that grades matter in the sense that they're used for external purposes. I mean, nobody is going to get into Harvard based on their middle school grades. Now, I'm <laughs> saying middle school grades are unimportant, but it really is at the high school level that it's critical that we use quality grading practices, that we have grades to use. I like using the acronym CALM, grades that are consistent, accurate, learning-focused and meaningful. And so the part of the problem I think we've had is that we've seen standards-based grading, more effective grading, employed very widely at the elementary level, increasingly at the middle school level. And it certainly is increasing at the high school level, but not to the extent that it needs to. So it, grading reform really now, I think, should be focused on on high schools mm -hmm. uh, because that's where grades matter in the, in, in, in the a very specific sense, not the general sense. And you said, how do, can people contact me? The best way is through email, k-e-n-o-c at aol.com, also through Twitter at kenox 7 and thank you for this opportunity. I always like having the opportunity to talk and work with you, Mike, and 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 with Dana. So thank you. Oh, likewise. Thank you, Ken. Ken. You definitely teach me a few things about assessments and things. So in 10 years, when I do hopefully open up my school, a lot of these things will be implemented within it. So thank you again for your time so that the feelings are reciprocated. But in conclusion, determining grades in grades 6 to 12 is a complex and multifaceted process that requires careful consideration of learning goals, performance standards, and student behavior. By aligning grades with these key factors and involving students in the grading process, teachers can provide fair, accurate feedbacks that promote student success. We hope that today's workshop has inspired you to approach grading with a critical eye and commitment of excellence. But in addition, the use of AI and ChatGPT in grading and assessment has the potential to transform the way that we're evaluating student learning and growth. By providing personalized feedback and analysis, these technologies can help educators identify areas of strength and weakness in student performance, as well as develop more effective and teaching strategies. However, it's most important to recognize that these technologies are not a replacement for teacher judgment. Instead, they should be used as a supplement to support and enhance traditional assessment methods. Thank you for joining us at the International Schools at ISS EDU Learn, Ask Me Anything podcast brought to you by Dana and Mike, sponsored by ISS. Until we hear you next time, bye educators.